and weeks passed by and no decision was was announced about what was going to happen and uh, you know colonel bargewell colonel at the time came in uh, and explained to everyone he said you know i've been waiting until my anger over this event subsided before i made a decision that was going to impact the careers of these guys for the rest of their lives and once that anger completely subsides then i'll make my decision about what's going to happen with them and i thought wow that Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part one of our Special Operations Lessons for Business mini-series with Al Buford. Al is a 20-year veteran of U.S. Army Special Operations in uh, the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, including being inducted into the Army Ranger Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about that, uh, as well as spending time in the Army Special Mission Unit. Uh, since then, he has gone on to become a highly successful businessman. His company, Patriot Group, with his partners, is uh, set to close... Looks like they're going to hit 100 million in revenue this year, and uh, and really important to me, he's been a, a really great volunteer for Child Rescue, our charity that combats child trafficking, year after year, coming out and supporting us and doing trainings and and uh, being a, an advisor as we think through what we're doing. Um, Al, I'm excited to do this. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure, Jess. Thank you for the invitation. So you've done a lot of things that I didn't cover, including you know being at Triple Canopy you know, for that first hundred million, they eventually grew to 400 million. And, and there's so many other things you've done. Give us a couple of highlights I missed there. Well, I love to fly. I uh, started flying about six years ago, six and a half years ago. And I got my instrument rating about a year after uh, I started. And uh, I'm about uh, 875 hours of flight time right now. I keep up on my instrument approaches and everything. And that's just kind of a personal passion. My family and I, we, you know, we like to go camping and we recently, we've been tent camping for many years, and we finally, finally, finally got an Airstream trailer, which we love. It's very comfortable and uh, tows really well. And uh, so we have time, we have fun with that. And our little dog, we rescued a little dog, Chloe. She's two and a half, and she's just precious, and uh, the whole family loves her. And she's such a great traveler and camper. And uh, we just, we have a blast, you know. We, we've, we've been spending coronation. I'm working from home and we are fortunate enough to have a pool in our yard. And so we spend a lot of time out there. This is the first year I've actually had a real tan in probably 25 or 30 years. So it's, you know, we've improvised, adapted and overcome to the Corona situation. And, you know, overall things are going pretty well. That's awesome. You know, it's funny is I, I was always too busy with work to like have a dog it seemed like a big hassle, but my brother got one and he found like it was really helpful to like have that forced exercise and that forced alone time. You know, so two weeks ago, we got a lab puppy. But of course, my family's totally fallen in love with it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. You know, it's uh, my, my daughter, Macy, she's 10, and she's up on all the latest vernacular. And <clears throat> she refers to Chloe as our emotional support animal. That's too funny. Well, we also missed that you co-own Echo Analytics Group, which is as well doing things in helping trafficking as well as all the other technical things you guys do. Yeah, former special operations folks who started that company and they, you know, they were on the, on the sort of more analytical side and the human intelligence side of, of solving the problems that a special operations solves. 
And so they built that into a business and I joined them as a partner some years ago. And I'm no kind of expert at that field, but from a business perspective, I've always felt like data is the new oil, only there's going to be only ever going to be more of it. And anybody who's any good at analyzing it for some useful purpose has a bright future. And so when you're, when you're investing in small businesses or, or any kind of company, what you're really investing in, I think, is, is the leadership team and can they get their idea across the finish line and can they bring it to market and can they provide good service? And that's really all about the people. It doesn't matter if you're selling shoes or writing software, you know, it's, it's, it's about the people that, that are going to have the, the, the wherewithal to make it happen. I love it. Well, for people who aren't familiar with Patriot Group, what do you guys do? We provide mission support services on a variety of mostly uh, U.S. government contracts, and it's a broad range of things. And ultimately, it's a very competitive environment, and we've worked really hard to build a business where in a services-based businesses business, it requires people to sort of gravitate toward your company and, and away from other companies and toward yours. And how do you do that? How do you make your business a place where people want to be? And we focused on that extensively, and it's 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 really the secret to our success. So, for people not from the space, wh- what does that look like day to day? What do, what do some of your people do day to day? Well, security, for example, ISR is intelligence surveillance reconnaissance. Those are airplanes that fly around in circles, and they have sensors on them, and they gather information. For example, against on the border with Texas, Texas and uh, Mexico, we have a, a plane that flies around and interdicts drugs and human trafficking. And it's been very, very successful. It flies for Northcom. And that's an example of, of a domestic mission. Love it. Well, listen, let's dive into uh, what, what we want to cover on, on this first part of the mini-series here. When you look at your time in Rage Arrangement at Army Special Missions Unit and then going on to build a business that can do $100 million a year in revenue, what, what kind of principles do you think are most important in dealing with people that not enough of us focus on? Well, I think... Credibility from an individual perspective as a leader is, is critical. Mission focus is critical. And then respect. And, and I'll kinda, I guess I'll address those each individually a little bit. I spoke recently with a friend of mine, Kyle Lamb. He wrote a book called Leadership in the Shadows. He was one of my former special operations colleagues. And he's out there writing books and training on leadership and, and tactics and things like that to law enforcement primarily. And we had about a, an hour-long conversation about his book after I read it. And, and of course, I introduced him to the same Arbinger material that you introduced me to as well. And so, you know, in, if you had to describe what makes a good leader in one word, you know, his word was credibility. And, uh, you know, and he posed that to me. And I had a real hard time putting it in one word. You know, I had to ask him for an exception to policy because for me, you know, yes, there was credibility, but... You know, there, there were other things, that, but his word credibility really, uh, really resonated with me because so much goes into your credibility with uh, the people that you're, you know, leading and, and serving. And I've always wanted whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing now to be credible with the path that I go down next. And so, you know, with my, with my military background, I wouldn't be as credible trying to manufacture satellites, for example, as I am in the services arena that involves similar skill sets, you know, weapons and planning and all that sort of thing. So credibility is critical. Uh, A lot goes into that. If you want to ask any questions about credibility, I'll kind of pause right there and then we can get into the other two things. You know, it's interesting. When you're talking about credibility, I'm thinking how much easier it is to trust a leader 
who has credibility. You know, if they have credibility because of their integrity, because of their experience, because of those many things that go into it, it's easier to have faith. And like, whether it's my leader or whether it's like somebody I'm hiring, like trusting their leadership of what I'm hiring them to do for me. Anyways, that, that resonates, you know, I've, I didn't know you knew Kyle, I've read his books and, and obviously seen him on the circuit a little, it's interesting to frame it that way. Yep. I've known Kyle since the early nineties. In fact, he, he, when GPS was a new thing, he taught me how to use a GPS for the first time. It was a big, big, really big box. It had a bunch of keypads on it and it weighed a lot and uh, only picked up a handful of satellites and, you know, cost, cost a ton. And, you know, now you can get a hundred times, you know, one tenth of the price. That's awesome. But uh, so, so credibility, I think in credibility, your background gets you kind of a foot in the door with, with a person or a group of people, but then you, you build on and maintain that, at least in my experience, by doing what you say, say you're going to do with them so that if you are going to run your organization in a, in a certain way and you, you announce all that and you don't really live up to that in terms of how you treat people, for example, or how you compensate them or, or you know, how you help develop them, how you serve as a mentor or whatever, whatever you say you're going to do with them, you really got to follow through on that. Otherwise, you, whatever credibility you had goes away. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think about your world and obviously we spend time together and, and we've got some friends in common from your former unit and stuff. And it is interesting to me, the level of trust that you guys get with each other and also how, how quickly people, they, they get almost pushed out when they take the actions that lose that credibility and lose the ability to be trusted. It's a little, maybe a little less forgiving than the, some of the corporate world where depending on what you're doing, you know, lives aren't on the line and some of these other issues, right? Well, that's a unique thing with special operations units in the Ranger Regiment is they have something called summary release authority, which means if someone uh, isn't living up to the standards or they have some infraction, the organization can send you away immediately and they can be temporary or it can be permanently. But uh, summary release authority really is a tool that it's easy. It makes it easy for leaders in a way because they don't have to deal with problems and develop people if they don't want to. But it's good because it really causes people to, you know, to 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 do the right thing, you know, and uh, to try to avoid, you know, if you're focused on the mission and you maybe you color outside the lines a little bit in a gray area when you're overseas somewhere in an ambiguous environment, you know, as long as you were doing it for the right reasons to get the mission done, generally, you know, you get support from your chain of command and, and those kind of organizations. But if you're, if you're doing it because you're trying to put money on your, in your pocket or something like that, well, then, then boom, you're gone. You know, if you do something to, to damage the, the organization's reputation and it was for one of those reasons you know it's a personal selfish reason you know they don't tolerate that at all and rightly so you know i think another thing you know over the years we've known each other i've been really impressed with your like i don't know like commitment to radical self-honesty <laughs> like i feel like do you do you feel like you hold yourself to a higher standard or or do you not notice that mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm surrounded by great people. And so, you know, it's like there's an old saying like in, in, in special operations units, it's like I've never worked so hard in my life to be mediocre. You know, because when you're surrounded by so much talent and people with so much dedication and so much mission focus, and they're just absolutely um, amazing at so many things, 
you know, every day is just an exercise in trying to demonstrate that you belong there, you know, doing your part. And uh, when people don't have one of the, the different differences between uh, like the Ranger Regiment and, you know, a special operations unit is like, you know, all of your badges and name tapes and rank and all those things are on your uniform. And so as you walk down the hall or down a sidewalk and you see somebody, you kind of sort of have this automatic judgment of, of worth based on all this stuff that they're wearing. And it's just a subconscious thing that you kind of learn over time. But in going to a unit where people walk around in, you know, sterile uniforms or a brown t-shirt and shorts and you're going to the range, what you learn there is to assess people based on performance and contributions to the organization's mission. And, and then going back to the Ranger Regiment after, after that, then all the badges and rank and all those things became sort of uh, invisible to me because I started, then I, I already knew how to watch behavior and contributions and assess in that way. And so that was an interesting skill to pick up over time. Yeah. Well, you know, I think sometimes the way the movies portray you guys, you know, and they've got the whole Jason Bourne thing going on there. There's a lot of like portraying you guys as, as tough as nails and not, you don't care about people's feelings and you're shouting at people and, you know, some of the stereotypical military stuff from the TV shows or the movies. And yet I think about our conversations and you, at least in my opinion, are a real student of human behavior and what makes others tick. And you I don't find you one of these kind of people that tries to bulldoze their way to getting what they want. Can, can you talk about your approach that on the, that side of things? Well, yeah, and it goes right into the other two items, you know, credibility we talked about already, mission focus and respect. You know, all of the leaders that I respected uh, in my very early days at 2nd Ranger Battalion were people who were very respectful. They welcomed me from day one, and they they talked about our, our mission essential tasks and things that I would be expected to be good at and, uh, you know, explain to me, you know, be on time, have all your equipment, be ready to train, and we'll do our part to help get you up to speed. And um, welcome to, you know, welcome to the, the squad and to the platoon. And I don't ever remember my squad leader, my team, my team leader, my squad leader and my platoon sergeant. These guys were very respectful. And I happen to have a, a handful of leaders that were older than the average, you know, and, the, you know, a little bit more education, a little older. And I think I got lucky. I, I know that not everybody in my cohort coming through the pipeline of training uh, got the same respect. I, you know, I saw some of my friends getting smoked up and down the hallways with a little bit of hazing and that sort of thing. And and I was just fortunate. I got into a, a, a very respectful squad. And, uh, you know, a, a guy named Bill Sexton was my team leader. He already had his college degree. My squad leader, Paul Andreessen, was, you know, older than the average squad leader by a little bit. And then a guy named Francisco Magana was my platoon sergeant. And I don't ever remember, you know, Magana raising his voice even. I'm very respectful. And so I, I, I was fortunate. And then when I showed up at my special mission unit, I went through the training process and showed up to my team. And it was the same thing. It was like, hey, welcome to the team. You know, this is what's important. Uh, let, we're going to help, you know, same same speech, you know, be on time, do, do your stuff right. And, and we're going to help you get up to speed. And, uh, and it was that they helped me pack my bags and get ready to go for our, our rapid deployment, you know, phase that we were in. And uh, it was just uh, that, that mission focus and respect. And so those two things are a huge part of how we run Patriot Group. You know, we, it's, it's all about the mission focus and everyone is respected. And, and, and when you introduced me to the Arbinger material, I was, it was at a time when I was looking for some kind of professionally produced material that would help us teach 
our, our help us spread our culture of respect to other parts of the company as we, we were sort of in a rapid growth phase. And how do we make these new programs that we're taking on, uh, you know, 100 people at a time? How do we how do we transfer our culture of mission focus and respect to those new programs? And so we we put together a training program for the leaders that myself and one of our program managers runs. And it starts with square one of, you know, the Arbinger material, which is all about seeing everyone as a person, regardless of whether they're a local or an Uber driver or the person that serves your food or a teammate or a customer person. Everyone is a person. They have strengths and weaknesses, fears, needs. And just because I am in the position I'm in, that doesn't mean I'm my, everything is all about me. You know, it's every, it has to work. This deal has to work for everyone. You know, being a part of an organization has to work for everyone. And so that's, that's a mission focus and respect. Those are just two things that I I learned in the military uh, and was fortunate enough to be a part of organizations that were really mission focused and they were all volunteer organizations. And so you had to work hard to get there, to be selected, to go there. And then you had to earn your key to stay there. And a huge part of that was respect. You know, it's the the respect piece. I I don't really, I don't think I can overstate how important that is and how critical it is and what a differentiator it is in business because so many companies, whether they're owned by private equity, which creates its pressures that people end up feeling, whether it's a publicly traded company that has these quarterly pressures that people feel, or it's a family-owned business. And if you're not in that family, then, well, uh, you know, you're not anointed and you're not going to get treated with respect. And so in some cases, and so for us, myself, my business partners, Greg Craddock and Rob Whitfield, we've all agreed that, you know, those two things, mission, focus, and respect, if we can all stay on that sheet of music, uh, it doesn't matter the, the age of the person you're dealing with. They can be a millennial. They can be uh, I'm 55. They can be my age. They can be older. But if you're focused on those things, then then all of the noise that's going on in the world about all the stuff you see in social media and, and, and politics and all that, it, all that is just kind of noise when you really are truly, when you truly respect everybody around you and you really have this important thing to focus on together as a team. Who needs a corporate team building exercise when, you know, your mission involves life and death? You know, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a great thing to be a part of, and we're very happy to have, uh, have built this company to, to be what it is, and it's a challenge to, to continue to, to maintain what's special about it as we grow. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm just like, I'm nodding my head on this side, you know? I, I, I love those guys at Arbinger. I, I really enjoyed my time when I was the director of their special operations and intelligence agency practice, you know? And, and since then... I think about some of the stuff that I've taught, you know, they, so much of that material comes from that Austrian philosopher, Martin Buber from a hundred years ago said like, I'm either, it's either like, I either have an I it way of being where I'm thinking about other people like an object, right. Or an I you way of being where I'm thinking about you like a real life human being who, like you said, has their own problems, has their own priorities. Right. And I, there was a group, actually a guy from your former, your former unit that is out here in Park City. He, he brought me on to come help. His organization was training a bunch of the pararescue guys from the Air Force Special Operations. And we got this big room and it's a bunch of crew, crew chiefs, PJs, and pilots. And we basically spent the day together kind of going through that Martin Buber type of stuff of, hey, can we spot our own blind spots? Can we... You know, can we 
try to get a little bit more honest of where maybe I've been selfish. I, you know, I thought I should have done something for someone else, but I chose selfishness instead. And which is basically the antithesis of respect, right? And it was fascinating because, uh, you know, you I got the enlisted, you got the enlisted officer thing going between crew chiefs and pilots and, and then the special operations guys who maybe are a little bit predisposed to discount some of the officers and you can bet that doesn't go over really well. And, you know, right. And uh, it was a real turning point when this pilot, you know, we we're saying we, we ha- had this list going of like, okay, what, what do you think people might say negative about yourself if you're being honest about some of your mistakes? And in front of a group, I don't know, there's got to be 50 plus people in the room. This pilot's like, oh, well, they'd probably say I'm an arrogant SOB, da 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 da, officer, pilot, whatever. And he's like, and unfortunately, they'd be right too many times, you know? And it was like, you could have heard a pin drop in that room, right? And, and all of a sudden, man, the answers from everyone else, it was like contagious. All of a sudden, everybody else started getting a lot more because he had the guts to go first. He had like the courage to be honest about his shortcomings instead of just like, you know, being on stage of I'm an officer, I'm a pilot, you know, lucky for you little people, I'm here, you know, all of a sudden, like, it just got, the conversation got way more honest and, and just the whole feeling of the room changes. And we just got the the guys who run that they do special operations training all over the country. And they wrote back about that session, having some of the highest scores, you know, but it's, yeah, it's my, interesting. My, how, um... Oh, go ahead. I want to I want to answer that same question because it's 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 at the the tip of my tongue. So for myself, for so many years, I I, I referred to myself as sarcastically challenged. You know, I my sense of humor often man, manifested itself in the form of sarcasm, which there were many many times when that didn't serve me well. And so I think as I, as I've gotten a little older and had more experience in business and have a position where I really have to be careful about. I can't, I can't necessarily joke with people the same way now that I could when I was a teammate, for example, you know? And so I've been able to, I think for the most part, successfully dial that back and uh, try to listen more than I talk, which helps. You know, I'd be interested as we've been talking here, it, it kind of occurs to me that in many ways, like selfishness and respect are on opposite ends of a spectrum. Do you see it like that or do you see it differently? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The whole the whole Arbinger, you know, being in the box or out of the box or inward mindset versus outward mindset. Once you, once you learn that stuff or once you've been exposed to it, you know, as, as one of my facilitators said, you know, you can't unsee it. You know, it's 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 a it's a lens that you now have. And so as you start to do some of those self-focused things, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to I need to open my eyeballs and see these people around me. It's not all about me, you know. Yeah, you think about how well that can serve people in almost any arena, right? Like, look at the business side. You know, somebody I've got a lot of respect for, Richard Branson, talks about saying, you know, customers are not my number one priority. They're not the most important thing to me. Staff are. Because I believe if I, te- if I you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, like, I believe if I treat my team with the most respect, treat them extremely well, that that's going to have a trickle-down effect to them treating my customers well. And, you know, like it sounds so obvious. And yet how many of us have been part of organizations where leadership abuses the frontline people on behalf of the customer, supposedly, 
you know, you, you guys get out there and you get that done. We got, you know, like anyways. Yeah. I, I, as a real junior guy in the military, I think it's a real common thing to be out doing your, you know, whatever it is you're doing in the field or whatever. And I always felt like people up at the higher headquarters were smoking crack or whatever the drug was of the, of the day in every unit I've ever been in. I always felt like the people at several echelons above were, you know, there's something wrong with them. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you, your, your, your perspective gets adjusted when you, when you, when you get in different chairs and as you get into different leadership levels. Well, so, and, and so what I tried to do is as we have, have been at the senior levels, really be clear about communication and where we're going as an organization and what we're doing and how, how it involves, you know, everyone at, 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 at all the levels. And so uh, as an example, if we get a letter from some senior leader at a contract location where one of our people happens to be working about something great that they did that contributed to mission success, and this happens pretty frequently, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get CC'd on it or whatever. I'll print it and walk it around the office to the people who are processing expense reports and timesheets and things like that. You know, they, they don't, they're not terribly connected to what's going on with the customers. They're just doing, they're, they're doing their piece of the business and they do it very well and they're focused on it. So I'll walk around and go, hey, I'm trying to connect them to the mission. You do this well and the other person doesn't have to go and ask why their 401k contribution isn't accurate or why this expense report didn't get, have to get reimbursed. They're focused on the mission and they're focused on the customer and you're doing your part so well, it's invisible to them and it allows them to focus on the mission. And so this is how you're connected to the mission downrange. And so most folks, they seem to appreciate that connecting the dots. And in the back office, one of the very first things in our employee handbook, I, I want to kind of connect the dots with that statement about people in the higher headquarters being disconnected and smoke and crack and all that. So in our employee handbook, you know, I wrote a statement that basically says those of us who serve work in the back office of the business, you know, we're not billable on a contract. We are sort of in a support role and we, we serve two groups of people. That is our employees and our consultants who meet our customers needs every day. You know, without them, we, we would, we would make no money. And that's the first group we serve. The second group we serve is our customers who we have to interact with for various reasons, you know, program management, contract management, invoicing, and things like that. And without them, we would cease to exist. So, you know, those are the two entities we in the back office serve. And, and, and if we're not doing that right, if there's something we can improve on, we want you to tell us. And we seek out that feedback very regularly and, uh, and we act on it. And I think that's a part of what, what has helped us to be a company that folks want to work at. We've won multiple awards, you know, for best place to work in Virginia and with various entities that have those annual competitions. And, you know, we're quite proud of that. Uh, we work very hard at it, uh, not, not really for the external validation, but, but to actually be that place that people, they would rather be here than at one of our competitors. And we're, we're, we've worked very hard for that for over 10 years. We've had some pretty good success with it. And, uh, you know, the challenge now is, 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 is keeping that same feeling in our company as we get bigger. And we, we, we've got a pretty good plan for doing that. And, we're, and we're, uh, it's working. Yeah, I love it. Well, maybe to, to end part one of the mini series here, can you think of a story of, of maybe somebody from your special mission unit that you feel like really set a good example for how to work with others and, and how to treat others? Is, is there a story? Or is there an individual that comes to mind? Yeah, we had a commander 
He, uh, he passed away recently. His name was uh, Eldon Bargewell. And uh, he was an enlisted guy in Vietnam, and then he went to OCS, and he, and he worked his way up. And he was a super, super a highly regarded guy. Just, I mean, when you talk about credibility, you know, I, I, I can't think of too many leaders in the military who, who had as much credibility as Eldon Bargewell. Because he, he had done everything that any of us had done, you know, for the most part, just in terms of, you know, amount of time in combat and as an NCO in Special Forces. He was a, a special forces non-commissioned officer in Vietnam, and then he went to officer candidate school and became an officer. And so he had so much credibility. And I can remember a time, he, I never heard him raise his voice, not one single time. And I never heard him say something to someone that was, that was disrespectful, you know, so that so mission focused, respectful. He was just, he, he was one of the shining examples. And I can remember a situation where a couple of guys got in trouble for something. And it was one of those situations that was, as I described earlier, it was kind of an embarrassment for the organization. And it wasn't in uh, in pursuit of achieving the mission. It was just for, you know, personal selfishness. These guys got in trouble. And I can remember him talking to us about it. And everybody was kind of on pins and needles about what was going to happen to these guys, you know. And weeks passed by and no decision was, was announced about what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, Colonel Bargewell, Colonel at the time, came in uh, and explained to everyone. He said, you know, I've been waiting until my anger over this event subsided before I made a decision that was going to impact the careers of these guys for the rest of their lives. And once that anger completely subsides, then I'll make my decision about what's going to happen with them. And I thought, wow, that, that is some higher level leadership, you know, because, you know, it was, it was, uh, there was no skin off of his back to fire a handful of people and just keep driving on with business. You know, I mean, they had a whole organization to think about and to, to just hit the pause button because these two guys had lives and families and needs. And yeah, they made, they made a, they made a mistake that was not really in accordance with the organization's values and they needed to pay the price for that. And, and it also, you know, everyone needed to know that, you know, you, you pay the price if, if you did the wrong thing, but he was very careful to wait until he could do so in a way that was proportional for the offense and it was appropriate and not based on emotion. And I thought, man, that is a powerful lesson to learn. And think about that. That is, that's respect. He was respecting them, even though they did wrong. You know, I, I feel like th there's so much that's great in that story. I, I guess maybe my final question here is for those of us who want to condition ourselves to have greater emotional control, to choose to take a tactical pause instead of indulging in our anger, our disgust, our whatever, name your negative emotion, right? Any, any recommendations of something we can do repeatedly, something that we can, you know, self-condition to, to have greater emotional control? Yeah, I think, I can't remember which book I read this in, but it has to do with instead of reflexively reacting to every situation that, that pops in front of you all day long every day is to to choose whether or not you're going to respond and then choose again how you're going to respond and if you can develop that skill within yourself it'll it allows you to go through the day without having people push your buttons and spike your blood pressure and you have no control over it right so it's it's a matter of being aware that you do have the ability to choose whether to respond and how to respond, as opposed to simply letting someone push your button and you react. I love it. I think I think for me as well, getting to spend time with people like you, getting to hear 
stories of individuals who did have that superior control, it, it makes it cement in my mind of like, that's who I hope to become like. And I feel like maybe that's something that when I come up against these decisions of snapping or saying what I feel like instead of what I think I should say, I think I maybe it gives me something to compare myself against of like, yeah, but if I indulge in that way, will I be living up to the ideal that I claim that I'm trying to achieve? So I, I appreciate you sharing the story. Yeah, and I, I do have one more quick one from when I was a private. There was a guy who was a squad leader in another squad. His name was Carlton Dietrich. He was a staff sergeant who later went on to be a, a command sergeant major. But at the time, he was one of these guys who he was literally like from Hollywood central casting in terms of what a Ranger NCO would look like. I mean, he just looked the part and the posture and his his demeanor and the, the way he talked to people and, 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 you know, what he looked like. And he even had the big massive dive watch, you know, and he was just the coolest guy. I mean, he was just like, everybody wanted to be like him. And I can remember he was a squad leader in another squad. So I didn't really interact with him on that much of a regular basis, but he was running a rappel tower one day and all of us were going through this station and I had never been on a rappel tower like that before. And, uh, you know, it was pretty high up or whatever. And, and, and he was, he was running it and he was talking to me as I was, I was backing down into this position backwards off of this rappel tower in this, in this harness with a, with rope and the snap links and all this. And he is coaching me through how to do this. And I was a little bit nervous. And the way he talked to me, he had this way of, there was all of this confidence that was within him. And he was able through his body language and his eye contact and his voice inflection, his demeanor, he was able to transfer some of that confidence to me. That was a magical thing. And it wanted me for the rest of my life to try to be like that guy as a leader. You know, if you as a leader can transfer confidence to other, other subordinate leaders that you're helping to develop, it's a magical thing. And uh, there have been situations uh, here where uh, situations have popped up and, I, and I've been able to sort of, you know, channel Staff Sergeant Dietrich and, and, and do some of that. And it's, it's a really powerful thing. Hard to put into words, but it's very powerful. I love it. Well, I think this is a great place to stop for part one. Uh, everybody, please tune in to uh, the next part of our mini series on special operations lessons for business. Thanks, Al. Thank you.